Good morning and welcome to Right on SC. This is Casey and Rex here with you every Saturday. It's hard for me to figure out if it's my earphones that can't hear you or if it's your mic. So talk to me a little bit. Okay. All right. Yeah. How you doing? I can't hear you through the mic. Weird. This could be the Casey show. Oh, wow. (laughs) Welcome to Right on South Carolina. This is Casey Whitener. And uh, with me in the studio is Rex, but I can't get his mic to work. So we're just going to talk over him until I can. Uh, Today we're talking about sci-fi and fantasy Uh. world building. (laughs) Because we last week talked about setting. And, uh, you know, in our setting conversation, we made it very clear that there's two pieces to setting. It's both where you are, but also when you are. And in the sci-fi and fantasy world, those two things are uh, exponentially expanded. So we're working on that today. Let me see if I can uh, cue up another mic here and, and get you on here. Um, oh, Kat says she can hear me. Oh, okay, good. So maybe it's just my earphones then. Thank you, Cat. Feedback is good. <laughs> well, the mic's working at least on the radio, so we sound like a of incompetence excellent no it's five minutes there (laughs) it's user error on our part (laughs) all right like i said welcome back um so we're talking about fantasy world building sci-fi this week and the idea focusing specifically on the setting piece and i think that uh last week we 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 worked the pestle analysis last week we talked about politics i'd never it was a good idea on your part yeah, did you? And uh, I mean, I felt like it gave us a chance to really explore each critical element of the world, right? Absolutely. But then, as I started looking at uh, focusing that lens on sci-fi and fantasy, I had to come up with kind of a new way to do it. But there's a great list that I found that it's in our show notes on RightOnSC.blog. But it's oh, there. See, that was my earphones because now okay. I can hear myself all of a okay. sudden. All right, <laughs> um, it's in our show notes on RightOnSC.blog, and this was from Fiction University. Uh, the writer is Janice Hardy, and she gives us a really great stack of categories that you need to build out for your fantasy world or your science fiction world. And I thought we'd just work those categories today because, Sounds good. I mean, it's a it's an extensive list. So. Okay, well, first, how much fantasy have you read or science fiction? Most of the fantasy that I've read has been uh, young adult fantasy, right? So I read a lot of that, um, all of the Hunger Games, you know, plus You're everything that came. you young adult stuff, aren't you? No, I just went through a phase. Oh. I went through about two years where that's all. I just like chewed it up. And then I jumped in from there into these romance novels. And now I've been chewing those up. So I would go with that. Um, and the, on the fantasy side, those are things like angels, uh, the people, the, the, what do you call them? The, the Shadow Hunter series by Jacqueline. Uh, I'm going to get it wrong. Anyway, the Shadowhunter series. Um, but anyway, so most of my fantasy is, is YA fantasy. I'm to be going in the opposite direction. I keep reading older and older and older stuff. <laughs> yeah. Every I time mean, you come in here, you've got something from like the 1920s and 1930s. I just picked up Marcel Schwab's The the Children's Crusade, which he wrote in like, you know, 18, uh, I think it was like 1890-something. One of the few, uh, I think it was only uh, translated in English, ooh, only about 60 years ago. but. Huh. Yeah, no, and then I would say yeah, on the, exactly. I mean, the, yeah, I, I don't have anything to add to that. I would say on the um, on the sci-fi uh, position, I probably have most of my sci-fi experience through films. Um, that would be the big ones: Star Trek, Star Wars, right? And then I, there was a sci-fi romance series that I read that I thought was pretty good. But what was that called? 
Uh, you don't want to know. <laughs> oh, is that filthy, huh? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was the uh, the writer is uh, one of my favorites, and she, but she in this case she writes as Casey Cross is her name uh, on, in these series, and it was about um, a a world where the AI had created this like separate sort of planet, and all the guys that were there were sort of orphans, and these guys were um, anyway. It was it was pretty cool. All right. And then each of them has to, like, go. Of course, they're going to go it and find their like mate the in some way. the Lagoon in space. No, it wasn't exactly. Okay. I mean, I'm, there's not any reason to promote this series other than if people enjoyed um, enjoy this author, they would enjoy that she sort of took this side road into sci fi and did some of the, the stuff around this. But so each of the books was about the, they're like, these guys are like scavengers. So they're going out there and like rescuing people who are in bad circumstances all over the, um, all over the universe or the galaxy and bringing them back to, to live in this like sort of AI paradise that they've put together anyway. Um, but you know what? This goes to our very first category, which was climate. <laughs> Most of the time when we see uh, sci-fi, it takes place in space, right? A good amount of science fiction has to do with other planets, has to do with space travel, uh, advanced technology. And the climate question for world building is about the weather so what's the weather like in space? What? Uh, cold. It's cold. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Padme. It's okay. cold in space. <laughs> it's cold in space. It's cold and empty and dry. Yeah, the climate it's a dry question. Cold. The, the climate question for uh, for world building, the climate question is about how do people, of course it's about how do people dress, right? It's going to give you an indication of what they're going to wear, but it's also going to give you an indication of what kind of people these people are. So if you're building a climate where it's cold, it's harsh, it's hard to survive, you're building a hardy survivalist kind of culture. If you're building a climate that is warm and and delightful what? and sandy and it feels like vacation all the time that that's a different kind of culture uh that responds to that particular climate okay so I do you understand that but um well one of, the, one of the things i notice is that people tend to make uh you know these planets or these areas where it's just one climate across the entire planet right which makes no sense true 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 all right this whole planet is one giant swamp that's impossible. <laughs> what, Dagobah? That's not a thing? <laughs> well, they didn't say the whole planet. It's just where how you happen to land. Yeah, exactly. Where uh, Yoda happens to be, right? Um, well, Tatooine. You know, okay, he's got three sons or two sons. But it's a desert. The whole planet's a desert. Yeah, it's kind of, well, it's, it's obviously a ripoff from Arrakis from Dune. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> You don't know what I'm talking about, too. I, I haven't read Doom or seen Doom. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just okay. so funny when you say things like that. When you go, obviously, I'm like, well, it's clearly. it's certainly seen to be inspired to by, and they're moisture farmers and everything. Yes. But the whole planet's, I mean, why would you colonize someplace like that? Who would live there? Yeah. yeah I kind of wondered that about Tatooine all the time, too. Which I, what I, I think that's probably what I like about episode seven is that you get Finn very clearly saying, who wants to go back to, what's it called, Yaku? Yaku? Yeah. Jakku. Why does everybody want to go back to Jakku, right? Like, it's that place is a, it's ridiculous. Let's not do that. Well, nearly every place in Star Wars seems terrible for some reason or another. Oh, so that's a good question, though. Does the climate have to have a balance? Like, it can't just be a, uh, you know, a beachy paradise. Even when you think about uh, the, um, 
where's the place that one heck of Wonder Woman is from? You know, the island paradise that well, Wonder Woman lives on, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, I can't even remember what it's called. I know. It'll come to me, like, probably during the commercial break. But so even when you think of a place like that, there's got to, does the climate have to have some kind of contrast to it? There has to be, like, a forbidden place that the elephant graveyard or whatever that people don't go to. I thought that, um. Uh, we got to go to commercial. Oh. Uh, We'll be right back. This is 100.7 The Point, right on SC. Casey and Rex, don't go away. times of. Right on SC, Casey and Rex here with you every Saturday talking about the craft of writing fiction, almost exclusively fiction. We mostly talk about fiction. I think so. Today's show is about setting in fantasy worlds and science fiction, and we have a whole list of categories of things that world building requires, things, right. questions you need to answer for your world building experience as a, as a novelist, as a writer, um, and we got through one of them in the first segment. <laughs> So well, we should pick I, up the pace a little as bit. I, said, I thought, I thought the, 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 the climatic change in Planet of the Apes was decent. Okay. The original Planet of the Apes. Okay. Because you had some weird elements. You had uh, the Forbidden Zone, which is, you know, where he find, where Charlton Heston finds the Statue of Liberty. Right. It's and, like a beach. Yeah, and that's where you realize that's why it's the Forbidden Zone. Right. But it's also a lot of weird stuff. There's a lot of lightning with no uh, rain or cause of it. Well, and the climate can be an impediment to your characters, right? The So I was thinking, when you said there's a lot of rain, I was thinking about the super rainy planet where um, Obi-Wan finds the clone army being uh, being created, right? And it's just a, the whole planet is a storm. Yeah. The whole An ammonia planet. storm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's my other thing, too, is I noticed in Star Wars, none of these places people ever seem to have a home planet. You notice that? There's never an origin planet for any of these races because you see Jawa everywhere. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, it even said that Jawa exists on different planets. And that, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a place where they're born. They all seem to be colonized from other worlds. You notice that? So, okay, so that takes us to that second piece, right? This historical piece. Where do people come from? What are their origins? If you're right. writing a fantasy novel or a science fiction novel, that history, while you don't necessarily have to include the whole thing in the book itself, right. you need to know, right? How, where did these people come from? How did they get where they are right now? And what were the major battles in history? What are the things that they're able to say, this is why we are where the, the place that we are in right now? Now, the problem is, of course, that's incredibly daunting. To imagine all that? Well, not just imagine all that, you know, to write it all. I mean, you look at the history of one planet. Now imagine having to write for a hundred. Right. Oh, I, I, and thinking in the Star Wars galaxy, right? Right. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but so Star Wars, though, evolved out of, it wasn't just George Lucas, here's my thing. It was, there's a lot of other contributors that built out that Star Wars universe. Sort of. And as they, as the films go up. along, as, as time goes on, they keep throwing out everything, so people will build it up. Then someone else will come along, take over Star Wars, and throw out everything before that. Okay. Except for the films. Right. Well, it's true. Are you talking about um, the books and things like that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even in the seventies and eighties, it was it was a it was a comic series for Marvel, which was authentic, right? Um, now that that's all been thrown out, and then they had all the uh, they had a, a number, a whole bunch of novels in the eighties and other stuff, and that was all thrown. You know, not that I really paid attention to it, because the only people who think care people care about is the movies. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll go with that. That's the only thing I care about, quite frankly. Right. <laughs> Although now we've started watching so some of these like spinoff of series. That, I did like some of those Marvel uh, Star Wars comics from the 80s. Yeah. We were watching, uh, like, we watched Mandalorian, and uh, we were we tried to watch. My my husband and my daughter like the cartoon ones, um, the the Young Jedi cartoons and stuff know. like I that. I don't know. I don't pay attention. I'll be, uh, I'll be what honest What they call the you. Clone Wars, I think, is the, the series. Clone Wars, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I've given up on all that. I've made a choice in my life. That you've I'm, had enough Star Wars? No, not just Star Wars. I'm not watching any more sequels, any more reboots, any more uh, uh, restarts, whatever you want to call it. So you're going to miss Wonder Woman 1984? Yes. Uh, anything part. I'll watch a superhero film, but it can't be part of the, the the DC universe or the Marvel universe. Okay. Yeah, I'm just done with it all. Okay. Because I feel like it's, 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 it's a waste of my time and energy. Okay. I think there's a lot of great stuff out there that everyone's missing because they're focusing on this crap. I'll agree with that. I, you know, I think there's a, a mainstream thing, right? Like we we have this, and I think it's the same. It happens in music, right? Where you have these um, sort of powers, whether they're the studios or the the record right. labels or whatever, the ones that control all of the radio stations, they control all of the genres, right? And they fit people into those places. So you get five or six pop stars instead of getting a thousand really good singers who are singing pop music, right? Well, yeah, except you can find those, but it takes a lot more effort to. That's the problem. Well, They're not right like, in front of your face. But platforms like Spotify try to level that playing field. I mean, right. they, Spotify has created a little bit more of a democratization in uh, music, at least. Right. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> and maybe even Kindle Unlimited has done it with writing. Um, if authors choose to put their, their book on Kindle Unlimited, they may find a wider audience. Um, I don't know. Haven't. We had, we had a lot of success with after December initial downloads, um, but I, I don't know. I haven't been tracking it since then because uh, I don't even know how I get paid through Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> like, if I get paid, I'm kind of like, eh, it's fine. Right, exactly. Um, all right, we're talking about world building this week, the setting for sci-fi and fantasy novels, and we've got a pretty good category list of categories on our, the blog. It's right on sc.blog. And we were just talking about climate and agriculture. The second one, the second piece of the climate is the agriculture. What grows there? Right. Well, what doesn't grow there? And you mentioned, especially we think of Tatooine and Jakku, these like desert planets that really don't have much agriculture to them. Uh, as you're building out your own fantasy world, consider that there's a good series uh, that's uh, a good YA series where the planet is that kind of dusty. Um, but it seems to be sort of post-apocalyptic, like we've killed off everything on the planet and therefore human beings now exist in this desert place because our climate has just gotten too hot for any right. agriculture to really survive. Um, so the the next piece of that is plants and animals. I think the question on animals is what kind of animals do people eat? What kind of animals do they enslave, right? What kind of animals become their work animals? And what kind of animals do they keep as pets? Domesticate, not enslave. Domesticate. No, no. They enslaved. Uh, no, they're, they're domesticated. That's the, it, no, no, domesticated is your pet that sits on your lap. Animals? No, 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 no. no. It also the, explains, the one that you hook up to a to a thing and you whip it. No, that's, that's a not domesticated a, that's not domesticated. Too. Yes, it is. <laughs> the um the book Wicked, uh, which I thought was just Gregory Maguire did a fantastic job with the book Wicked. There's two kinds of animals in Oz. There's the capital letter G goat and the lower letter lowercase letter g goat and the first one is these are human type they're personified 
creatures that walk upright, that wear clothes, that go to school. And then the lowercase letters are the ones that have not yet evolved to that place. Um, and it's interesting the way he establishes that and the way they establish animal rights for these, in this case, domesticated animals, right? Okay. Evolved animals. All right. But fine. I would say if you just have put that animal to work against its will, I wouldn't consider it domesticated. <laughs> I would consider it enslaved. Yeah, I think you forget how stupid a lot of animals are. <laughs> and they're not even here to defend themselves. Right, Come definitely. on, Rex. <laughs> uh, all right. In your fantasy world, answer these questions. What kinds of animals do they eat? Yeah. What kind of animals do work for them? And what kind of animals uh, are their pets? Do they keep as pets? Do they consider to be valuable creatures as pets and worship too that's a that's another piece of it when we think about some animals have mystical sort of connotations to them um all right well the problem is the other thing that can go too far where you're shoving a ton of new ideas at the uh, at the reader immediately yeah so i mean that's why a lot of them just you know go down to basic like in fantasy they they have horses right i mean because why come up with something new and have to shove that and explain that to the author, right? <laughs> to the to the to, sorry, to the reader, to the reader, when you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, so when we think of yeah. some of these fantasy novels that tend to mimic or mirror sort of like medieval times, right? right? Because we're familiar with the medieval landscape as a reader, you're familiar with that. If you see a wagon being drawn by an ox or by a horse, you kind of know where we are as far as that that era is concerned, the time period is concerned. So you can put those things in as indications of the level of sophistication in that society, right? Right. Um, this goes to the, the next category, which is the economy, the industry and the resources. So how do people earn a living? What do they, you know, how do they make food for one another? How do they, do they make weapons? And if so, how are those weapons forged? Good and again, point. in this sort of medieval concept, it's you've got your blacksmith, right? But not in a science fiction novel. You're not going to have a blacksmith. You're going to have a lab and some kind of engineer, right? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe he's called a blacksmith, but it's sort of an ironic use of the word. Well, you saw, I remember uh, Firefly, you saw this sort of mixture of high tech and uh, sort of low tech as people were colonizing these new worlds they didn't necessarily have. Um, they had had to sort of revert back to older times. Right. There were So there were blacksmiths there and there were beasts of burden. Right. Because they couldn't afford this new material because that was two those, you know, several planets away. Yeah. So they had to make do with what it was what was there. Okay. Um I don't remember seeing very many episodes of Firefly. Oh I'm, my god. But I'm thinking about um The Martian. And in The Martian, he delivers an environment that we think we know because of the science that we have on Mars, right? But then he starts taking on these issues of how would you grow something on Mars and how would you um, survive windstorms that happen on Mars and this kind of thing. So some of that is conjecture. It's fiction because we don't have people living on Mars. Um, so I, I think from a science fiction perspective, Mar The Martian is probably the one that makes me go, I could read more of this. All right. You know, Andy Weir. Especially dealing with the economy, you know, when you're dealing with a fictional world, it gives you a chance to make you make things interesting. Yeah. Right? Why precious metals? I remember one, reading one particular book um, called uh, The Wordsmiths and the War Guild by Hugh Cook, one of my particular favorite authors. <clears throat> and they were, their entire economy was based on bacon, was based on pigs. Huh. 
because the king had huge swine, uh, you know, swine fields. So he based everything around a paper, uh, a token economy for a certain amount of pig meat. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, which was, you know, you you get a clay token and be worth such and such and such, and you could train it in. The problem was, of course, then swine flu hit, swine fever hit, right. and killed off a vast amount of, right, which ruined the entire economy. How interesting. Uh, From an economics perspective, what is your economy vulnerable to? Right. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, looking at this, since everything is done, it was done along tokenism, sort of like ours, mm-hmm. through paper money or just dots on a computer screen. Right. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I yeah. mean, really. I mean, what? So, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's almost the exact same thing, whether it be pig meat or gold or not even gold nowadays. What is it? I don't know. Yeah, credit. <laughs> You're asking the wrong person. Well, it's based on credit <laughs> for the United States, since we don't have a gold or silver standard anymore. When we, um, so as you're building your fantasy novel, your science fiction novel, this kind of thing, um, I have a couple of questions that I, I'm not sure how much time we're going to have before we get through them, and then the next break comes. But um, my first question is around how much of this do you introduce right off the bat? And to your point, you don't want to sort of saturate people in all this exposition. And so that's one of the things that Gregory Maguire does very well in Wicked is he puts you right in the middle and he thinks you already know these things. He doesn't bother explaining them to you. He just thinks you already know them. And the other question is, how much of this do you have to have because it affects your story? And I think that's where sometimes people get bogged down in the details of the fantasy world they're building or the the science fiction world they're building. And we get sort of run roughshod as far as the details are concerned and it's they're not necessarily relevant to the plot they're just some cool thing they thought up and they wanted to put in there so be careful as you're building out your fantasy world to consider what you want to include and what you include should be the things that are directly relevant to the characters and to the plot would you agree with that absolutely yeah you know i mean you're going to put it in there to make it more interesting but um dribs and drabs have the main storyline go along with these revelations about new ideas. Yeah. And these, uh, and again, those things that show up when they do show up, they, here's the sort of maybe the. We'll work um, it into the plot somehow. So well, here's the gift to, to it, right? Yeah. Is because when these things come out of nowhere and you're like, oh, well, she didn't need it until now. But then you're like, yeah, but I wish I'd known about this because now it feels like it's just a convenient ad. We're going to break. Um, It's the bottom of the hour. The news is coming up. Don't go away. This is right on SC on 100.7 The Point. Right on SC, Casey and Rex here with you every Saturday talking about writing and the craft of writing. Stories, novels, fiction mostly. <laughs> you can get the show notes out on the blog. It's right on sc.blog. Also want to say thank you to all of our patrons who support our show with their loving contributions of both input, activity, and, of course, finance. Uh, if you'd like to become a patron of the show, go out to patreon.com slash right on SC and let us know what we can do to help promote you and your work. Uh, you can be a patron for as little as $5 a month and we will send you behind the scenes, backstage footage, give you opportunities to have your work critiqued by Rex or myself. We do interviews. We put them up on our YouTube channel. Ha, ah, we do have a YouTube channel. Go out to YouTube, look for right on SC and you'll find those behind the scenes that were for patrons only um, until they usually last as patrons only only for about a week or so, and then we put them up on the YouTube channel. 
All right. We've been talking about world building and specifically uh, we were talking about economic stuff. <clears throat> I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk more on the social side. When you're building your world where you want your characters to live, where you want your plot to take place, the social stuff includes things like entertainment, right? Is mm-hmm. the uh, society a sports-based competitive society? Yeah, that's the other thing I did notice, too. A lot of these uh, alternate, um, what do you call it, societies, mm-hmm. whether they be uh, you know fantasy or science fiction, don't seem to have any sort of entertainment. They don't have, you know, they don't have their own singers. They don't have their own sort of plays or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to have their own art. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of looking at you like, which books are you talking about? Um, so my favorite book is Kushiel's Dart by Jacqueline Carey. And all she does is build the entertainment side of this society because oh. it it is about uh, the cat. It's a caste system. And depending on where you exist in the caste system, you have access to different kinds of entertainment. So those lower levels are into, you know, throwing dice and gambling. Right. And then as they get higher up, they have access to courtesans and, um, and sexual kind of entertainment. Right. And then even higher up, there's books and films and that sort of thing. So there's uh, it sort of depends on. The higher level, the more money you have, the more access you have to to art in that society. I guess. Uh-huh. It just depends. I mean, it matters because one of the in her book, it matters because one of her characters is a courtesan. And so knowing who her clients are going to be <clears throat> and how this is good, that's that's why the art and, and science and all that matters. Okay. Um, but I would say you're right that there are a lot of science fiction stories that don't seem it's, a, it's as if people living in space don't have time for entertainment. Yeah, which right. drives them crazy. Everyone needs entertainment. Right. <laughs> and if it's common enough that, you know, regular people are traveling through outer space, mm-hmm. then there's going to be some sort of entertainment there. There should be some sort of artistic expression. There should be some sort of humanity, right? Some some representation of humanity there. Right, or at least a book, you know, uh, still reading a book um, or watching a film. Right. Films aren't going away. I think there's a good dichotomy between the societies that value art and beauty versus a society that values competition and right. brute strength. So if the entertainment in your fantasy world is fist fights, right? Or it's battling lions, right? When we think about um and we keep I know we go back to Star Wars on the sci-fi side, but there's what is it episode 2 where they end up in the pit and those animals come out to try to eat them. And there's everybody cheering around, right? So these, um, or and even the sarlacc being, a, you know, throwing something into the sarlacc pit being a source of entertainment um, for Jabba. Yeah, that's Jabba. the only entertainment in the Star Wars universe. Is murder. You never people. see a play. You never hear a song. Well, you occasionally hear a song. But there's it's always some bands at the, in uh, a at the bars. sleazy dive. That's the only time you hear it. <laughs> All right, you the never see bands. them watch a film. Yeah. Uh, you do see them play that one game, which I enjoy. The chess-looking game. Yeah, the chess game. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. There's nothing else. There's no sports. Oh, there is kind of. They have the. What the, kind of the entertainment races. do they have in Star Trek? Huh? Oh, well, you see. Well, it depends on whether or not you're watching a TV show. Which Star Trek? In the original one, they had bowling alleys on the. Uh, it's been a long time since I watched the TV show because I watched that. I had a I high school boyfriend a that made me watch it on Saturday specs, night. The official specs for the Star Trek Enterprise. And there was one section that had bowling alleys in it. Nice, <laughs> and they had in the original in, in the, the the next generation they had the uh, the hologram room. Yeah, and they played four D chess or three D chess or whatever. 
I wonder if there's a connection between the entertainment that you can build into your story and what it says about people's tolerance for pain, their tolerance for cruelty, right? Like all of the the way you decide this is how people seek their entertainment tells your reader something about that society. So I think it's important to have that in there. Um, and if you're just borrowing activities that we already have in our human society, that's okay. Just give it some kind of maybe relevant twist to fit into your fantasy society, right? Mm-hmm. Jousting or something like that. Um, what about education? How are people educated? Where do they go to get educated? What's the highest level of education? And is education valued or is it kept you know, into an elite group of people that are educated and everybody else is kept ignorant? Yeah, that's the other thing too in fantasy. Everyone seems to be fantasy novels and those are supposed to be pseudo medieval. Everyone seems to be literate. And then magically, most, yeah, exactly. And they would be illiterate. If it were really a medieval story, yes. Yes. Literacy was hard to come by um, for really until the printing press, right? Until words could exist in a place where other people could get to them and you didn't have to uh, interpret them necessarily, right? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, not only that, uh, literacy as a concept, um, there was there was usually two kinds of literacy. There was those literate in their home language and then those literate in Latin. Right. And most of the important writing, at least intellectually, was done in Latin. So think about uh, maybe the Song of Ice and Fire, right, where you think of this George R.R. Martin Game of Thrones experience. At that place, we have education on the um, Sam, Sam uh, you know, the Sam level, Sam Tarley, right, uh, where he's going to go and be in the center of all this knowledge that they've collected in the Seven Kingdoms. And then there's... The knowledge of the um, sort of various lords, right? So the Winterfell children are all educated. They can all read. They've all had tutors, right? They've all yeah. had some kind of governess or well, something. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. But then you go to when he goes to the wall and he meets some of the people that are at the wall, some of the criminals that are at the wall. Uh, we know Jon Snow is sort of put off by how ignorant they are because they didn't have the advantage of an education. So there's a way to use in fantasy novels education to separate the classes, right, in, in that, that medieval feel. Uh, but then there's also a way to say that some people take education very seriously and other people think brute strength is what ought to rule. And that tension between the two, also very medieval, um, but I thought it was done very well in Game of Thrones. Right. There, there's a full set of a sect of society that believes that if you can just beat somebody down, you don't have to read about it later. And then there's another set that says enlightenment and education and reason are the things that ought to rule our society. Yeah, except, you know, again, if you're going to follow the more medieval pattern, um, a lot of the noble uh, gentry didn't read either. That was considered a womanish thing. It was not considered manly. Right. You know, it was considered manly with the arts of warfare. So knowing how to get a horse, how to swing a sword, right. how to shoot a bow. Right. Those were the important things in life. In, in which That's case— That's why they all had priests and clerics to do that for them. So in, the, um, in that kind of fantasy world structure, you're making very uh, distinct statements about the role of gender, right, as right. well. And so oh, just— Well, women weren't allowed to read either for the most part. <laughs> um, but but not manly, not manly. Not, did not manly mean, did not necessarily mean womanish. Okay, it meant that it belonged to a lower class or somebody who wouldn't be able to fight his way out of a cardboard box. Right, correct. Yeah. 
Which is why Sam Tarley ends up. Which is why we had so many, you know, wars back in the day. Right. We had a group of violent, illiterate men with, you know, the best weapons available roaming the countryside. Vikings. Have you watched that series, Vikings? Yeah, Vikings. That's a pretty good series, actually. Um, uh, the History Channel Got produced really it originally. Dark. Yeah. By the way, I didn't. I haven't seen the last season. It does not romanticize Viking life in no, any way. No, it doesn't. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the um, the next category is religion, and so we sort of alluded to that when you talked about clerics, right? But sometimes that education realm is closely tied with an understanding of the gods, with an understanding of uh, faith and what comes after death, uh, and that sort of thing as well. So we, when we think back to pre-enlightenment European history, anyway, that education and religion were very closely tied together. Well, that, that was, okay, well, education was preserved through the religion. Right. Don't forget, during the Dark Ages after the fall of the Roman Empire. Right. The purpose of a priest was something completely different during the Roman time, let's say, than during um, a medieval time, uh, during the, the Dark Ages, when right. everything was falling apart, because the only permanent structure seemed to be left was the Catholic Church, who, um, and that was the only place, if you were ambitious, is the only place for a lower level individual to climb up, climb higher. Right. Without having been born into wealth. Right. The because, only way well, to, that to make your own destiny was, was to the study chain, higher. Uh, they called it the chain of being. Right. That you were born into the position God wanted you to be. So to try to do anything other than wise was to defy God's will. Right. Which is, thank goodness for the Enlightenment. Uh, where we start to recognize this concept of reason instead, and human beings are are created with a kind of reason where they can understand and they can put clues together and they can figure things out and they can get smarter and they can well, get better. Well, the first, first thing I think was Watt Tyler's Peasant Revolt um, was the real big thing, and then uh, the bubonic plague <laughs> really destroyed that concept because um, all of a sudden the middle classes, the guild work, were in a premium. Right. So when we think about building your own world, right, this history that Rex and I are talking through, European history, right, uh, Western <laughs> yeah, ci Western but civilization history. You can also look and base it on uh, Greek history, Roman history, something like that. Yeah, but that's the, the key is to build a believable historical structure for your society. Yeah, but the problem is a lot of times when they say believable, that people assume that it has to go along the exact same route. What do you mean? Exact same route as what? As development of, say, in Western Europe. And that's not necessarily so. And no. I mean, I find it, uh, I find people who have a complaint about that are just, you know, completely uh, unimaginative. Okay. If you do it differently, why can't there be various jumps in different ways? Maybe a society that hasn't, you know, created paper yet. We're going to run the how to make uh, Knows how to make a gun. We're going to run a break on the other side. Uh, we're going to dig a little deeper into this fantasy world building. Don't go away. It's right on SC on 100.7 The Point. That was quick. I love a quick break. This is right on SC on 100.7 The Point. Casey and Rex here with you every Saturday morning talking about writing and the craft of writing. And today's topic has been world building. And so we've got one segment left, and we were talking before we went to break about uh, how do you create the historical background for your fantasy society? And r really, all of this comes down to how much of this does actually has to be included, right? That's a good point. I mean, how much of it does it matter? Do you, do you really need to? The answer is yes and no. 
Right. I don't know. Um, you, when you look at, okay, the standard, actually the gold standard is uh, Tolkien, right, with Lord of the Rings. Right. And the amount of detail he put, he put a ridiculous amount of detail into the background of his books. I mean, a ridiculous amount. <laughs> So much to the yeah. point where it over almost shadows the original novels. As if like people, people would not enjoy the original novels before all that background material came out, because that background, the Similarian, as they called it, wasn't published until the 1970s, and the Lord of the Rings was popular all through the 60s. So I think part of uh, this experience of developing that fantasy world is the writer probably does have a pretty good idea of what all these things are. But you don't, you can't possibly answer all the questions that your readers are going to have. Well, you can't. Yeah, even Tolkien didn't do that. Right. He spent and, a lifetime working on it, creating new languages, new, creating songs, all sorts of things. Yeah. And so I think at some point, um, there's a chance to surrender the fantasy world to your readers and let them sort of um, build in their own pieces to it, which is where we talked about fan fiction before. If a if a reader really has a burning desire to understand this particular thing, you know, go fan fiction that it'll be fine. Um, but I think from your plot perspective and your character development perspective, every character should have their backstory, right? And their backstory is going to be influenced by the politics that they grew up around, right? All the right. economic circumstances they experienced coming up, um, their ability to either advance themselves in society or not, and their level of ambition for something like that, right? Are they willing to work in the, in the you know, preordained direction to get what they want, or are they going to break the rules and defy those, uh, those boundaries that have been given to them? And I think part of what I've found in this, like, experience with all these young adult fiction novels was that... More than anything, we want to um, enable our character to grow and we want to create constraints that aren't her, of her own making, that she has to then overcome these constraints. And as if you're building a fantasy world, those constraints can be borrowed from other worlds. They can be mirror images of what we see in our world right now, right? Yes. It could still be social anxiety. It could still be a patriarchy. It could still be, you know, an overbearing father, an absent mother. It could still be some of these sort of Disney-like tropes, um, but they just have to make sense in well, the, the fantasy Disney world that you're building. overbearing stepmother. Right. Well, the absent mother was the one I was thinking oh, about. Okay. But yeah, certainly the overbearing stepmother. Um, I like the idea of establishing a religion, and I like a faith structure as something that's deeply embedded in your fantasy story. And this is where I read Jacqueline Carey's Kushiel's Dart, and she does such a great job with this history of Kushiel, uh, or their he's not the main guy, but he's one of the apostles of their main God, Savior guy. And so, and Kushiel has his own sort of um, followers, people who are descendants of Kushiel have certain characteristics about them. And throughout the society, people who are of a certain apostle have characteristics of that apostle. And so um, I thought she did a fantastic job with that. And so when I went back to the vampire novel, I started thinking about the origins of my vampires. Where did they come from? Where did they start? And I went back to Dracula and the idea of the brides. And he has these three brides. And I came up with this story of how who the brides are and what their characteristics are. And then the people that are descendants of those brides the vampires that are descendants of those brides would have certain characteristics based on what type of vampire they were, right? That's not new. A lot of people that write in fantasy go and look for 
the origin story and then based on the original piece of this derivation what do my people look like now and and how do they function now based on you know where they came from their heritage I dig that. Like, I think if an author can do that really well, yes. I'm, I'll buy in all day long. <laughs> all the rest of it, what they wear, how they make money, like all the rest of it, I'll, I'll buy into all of that. If there's a faith center in the story, I don't think uh, creatures exist without answering that question for themselves. What happens after death? Right. And and especially in a vampire story, there is no death, right? Or at least they don't think there's going to be a death. We think we're going to you know live forever as a vampire, right? Um, and so answering that question for my story was really important to me. And I think if, a, if an author can do that, if they can build that real, that faith piece in there, um, everything else should, should come pretty easily. What do you think? Uh, it makes sense. I don't think everything will come very easily, but still, you know, I have something interesting. The problem is uh, how do you do it to make it different? Right. I mean, why is it different? Yeah. Or is it just another set of names that stands in for something else? Oh, another name for the sun god. Another name for the god of thunder. You know, that sort of stuff. Oh, the fallen angel story. Sweet. Yeah. Lucifer's back. Yeah, I've seen <laughs> yeah. that before, you know. Yeah. Those um, those ancient Greek stories. Um, and a society based on, you know, one of them. One of the... Uh, uh, so, I think we talked about Circe. Um, did we talk about Circe, the novel that was written... About uh, Cersei, who was a, is she a goddess? Or she's like a demigod. And she's to blame for Odysseus's... Uh, oh, she's a demigod. For him taking too long to get home. <laughs> in the that Odyssey. wasn't Cersei. Uh, that, you're mixing up with two different people. Cersei's on a... She, in, in this book, she's on an island. She's and, on an island. She's uh, she's the one who turns people to uh, pigs. Yes. Right. Yeah. And she, they first see her, and she's a sort of a, a demigod of nature because they go in there and they see that there's a, um, a a lion cub suckling at her breast. Right. And the pigs and the lions are all walking around each other without, you know. Eating one another. Right. Without the lions eating the pigs anyway. Um, so in this story, this telling of Cersei, we get her as an empathetic character. We get her as sort of the victim of these men mistreating her or, or abusing the the intentions that she has are all good intentions. Um, so it's an interesting sort of take on it. But that goes back to that, that concept of if you're going to build in some kind of religious architecture, and if you're going to borrow from an existing religious architecture, which part of it do you borrow and how is it relevant to the story? Right. Um, all right. And then the last one on the list here is art and architecture. And I think this goes back to that question before of, um, entertainment but it's also about beauty when you're building a fantasy world how do people recognize beauty in that fantasy world what do they consider to be beautiful and then how do they protect it or how do they fight over it what's the um how do they elevate it right one of the things that i think um suzanne collins did very well in uh, the hunger games is that in the capital there are these grotesque examples of what they consider to be beauty right. and um Katniss is uh, it's it abhorrent Cersei. yeah she's a she the, it was Cersei that delayed him on his trip home oh, yeah, on the Odyssey. and they had a son together yeah and there's in 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 the story in the, the novel Cersei it's a love story and she's very much in love with him and he's in love with her and then one day he just leaves her um which well, is gotta go home 
He ought not to have been there in the first place. <laughs> right? he his ship washed up there. Yeah, well, you, I she mean. She delayed him. The lesson for Cersei is don't love another woman's man, right? I mean, he's going to go back to his wife. Well, he's not just that. It's kingly duties. <laughs> kingly duties, yes. What well, have you been doing? Look I've what been kinging. Look what happened in his society when he left her for so long. Um, it fell to pieces. People began eating each other. Well, not eating each other, but you know what I mean? Yes. You know, the younger generation did not grow up to create for themselves. They just ate what the older generation created, began feeding off of that without thinking about making more for themselves. And then they all ended up getting killed. And that's next how week, yes. next week, I think we need to look at stories that are um, parallels and metaphors and uh, maybe prophecies. Sure. Why not? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, let's talk that's about how you do it. That's the biggest thing in the, the prophecy thing that we constantly see in Star. We saw it in Star Wars. We see it in 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 in, in fantasy. You know, well, the prophecy these... is a plot device. Is one it's thing. It's a plot device, but. It often has comes out of nowhere. Why do people believe it? Right. Where does it come from? What authority is it based on? But that's or, not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about this idea I, that... I'm, I'm aware. I'm just okay. saying, if you're going to build one of these worlds, give a backstory to your prophecy or don't oh, put okay. it in. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. Don't put it in at all. Because quite frankly, I'm sick of the chosen one. Yeah. And I'm sick... Well, no, I like... So, but I, I think and you're... I'm sick of the prophecy. You're or onto something important, wrong. though, because magic has rules. And if you're going to put magic in your fantasy world, we need to know the rules of the magic. The magic can't just show up out of nowhere and be the, the you know, the, this is the thing that's going to save us. It's got to be built in, in in a much more organic and subtle way. And so I think the prophecy is part of that. If there are, if prophecy is a part of the story, then let's understand where it comes from and how respectable it is. Do people really understand that this is something that is valued and valuable or is it something that's mocked and ignored, right? Like, so I agree with that. There's got to be a lot more depth to it. It can't simply be this is the way it's supposed to be, right? Um, I want to do the how do you do it list. It's at the end of the show notes. It's right on sc.blog. Uh, usually when we do these lists at the end of the show notes and we run out of time, it shows up in our behind the scenes video. So if you've missed some of those, go out to the YouTube channel right on SC and find those uh, behind the scenes videos. But also today we're going to be working on this list of how do you establish a fantasy world. And what was interesting to me when I found it was I was like, huh, we probably will have covered all of this by the time we get to this list, so we should be able to blaze through it pretty quickly. Um, the first question or the first uh, the instruction here is to establish the type of world that you want. So okay. when you think about the choosing the type of world you want, why would you make that choice? What would make you choose a magical world, a difficult world, a cold world? Why would you make that choice? Well, one, to make it different, if you have a different idea. Right. That would certainly help. Right. Um, I remember, uh, I think Larry Niven wrote a book called The Integral Trees, and it was about a sort of um, a society that existed around um, a neutron star. Right. And there was, the the entire thing was um, one giant circular um atmosphere where these sort of large planks of trees or vegetative growth would grow and enough to hold the society on and then it would break apart and you jump to other trees right and so forth and it's completely different right it's a fascinating book right i mean it doesn't have much of a plot but 
I just finished a series, or the most recent uh, YA series that I finished had something like that, where the planet had a particular kind of rotation to it. That's all we have for today for world building. We got to number one on our list of 10 things, so tune in to the behind the scenes. Become yeah, a patron at patreon.com slash right on SC. We'll see you next week.